you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible, the Scripture is printed in your bulletin on page 6. There's a place to take notes on page 7. Today we're really going to focus on verses 25 to 34. And so I'm not going to read all of the text, uh, but we may make some references to it. Um, the text that we've preached on in the past few weeks. We're just going to look at Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. So friends, listen. This is God's inspired and inerrant word. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's Word. As we finish this uh, series on gospel giving today, um, I do want to uh, address from the outset something that um, I guess it's, I think it's the right time to do this now. Um, I've had a number of you ask me um, recently, do you remember those planned giving forms we did? Uh, you know, what happened with those? And you know, we filled those out, and, uh, and we haven't heard anything since then. And, uh, and you said you were going to come back and let us know. And so I want to give you an update on that and then tell you some of why, um, what, what we're doing about it. So we got the forms back. And uh, the bad news is that we actually didn't receive enough of your forms to have an accurate sense of what the rest of the year is going to look like. So that's just a bummer. Um, we were hoping to get everybody to participate, and not everybody participated. So, um, so we've got some information, but it's not complete information. And so it's hard to make a projection based on those forms. Uh, but one of the things that we did do uh, as a session was that we recognized that what what we're going to be doing over the course of the rest of the year is that we want to make sure that you have a clearer sense of where we are financially. And so just like we've done quarterly, where we'll give you a financial update, we're going to be giving you more regular updates as the year keeps going so that we can make sure that we can get as close as possible to what our budgeting goals are um, for the end of the year. Um, one of the outcomes of, I mentioned this actually the first week, one of the outcomes of those forms was that the session decided that we should do a giving series. And so that's why we've been doing the series. Um, as I mentioned last week, we're also going to be adding uh, an, an event in our service where we're going to be receiving a weekly offering. 
starting next week, and I'll talk more about that today in the, ser- uh, in the, ser- uh, in the sermon. And then uh, the other thing that we're going to do um, is we're going to offer a financial peace class. So, because we know that so many of you want to give in certain ways and just can't because you're stuck. And so we are going to be offering a class. And again, I'll talk more about that a little bit later in the sermon. And so, but we're watching carefully and we're going to be communicating to you more particularly um, starting, I mean, the next update you'll get is going to be in, in early September. And so, um, so that's just the update on the giving forms. Okay. <clears throat> so what we're doing now is in talking about gospel giving is we're talking about how the good news of Jesus and salvation affects how we spend our money. And we've said this every week, but it bears repeating. Jesus talks about money not to manipulate us, but because he loves us. Okay? What we do with our money is an expression of our salvation. Okay? And salvation isn't just about life after death. Okay? Jesus' salvation, his good news about life is good for the here and now. Okay? You begin now to experience salvation. And what salvation looks like today in the area of finances is a life that is free from worry, from anxiety, where you have the money that you need and your money leads you actually into a deeper relationship with God. Okay? That would be salvation, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, you don't, so many of us don't experience that. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that we live in constant anxiety and worry about money. Are you worried about paying your bills each month? Are you worried about having enough for retirement? Are you worried about providing for your kids or for your grandkids? I mean, these worries, money produces anxiety, and Jesus talks about money to relieve that anxiety in our lives. Okay? We looked at this last week, but I want to look at it again. These, this is a short, these two versions of the same article on the fullness of the gospel. And again, I don't want you to read this. I just want you to look at this, okay? Exactly the same words, exactly the same font, exactly the same size of the font. The only difference between these two presentations is that one has no margin and the other has healthy margins. We talked last week about what margins do, right? Margins provide a buffer zone. They bring a sense of simplicity and in a pace of life that feels manageable. Um, And we began to to discuss last week that Jesus wants our lives to have margin. Okay? In every area of life, but specifically in finances, so many of our lives look like this. This is how how our financial lives look, where we are spending right up to the edge of what we make. You know, our spending is here and our, our, our income is here and our spending, we spend right up to the income that we have. And some of us, we spend even over the edge. We're off the page when it comes to the things that we spend and we have debt and that debt is getting worse. And, um, and so, so many of us, you make decisions in, about spending your money and you have no buffer, right? There's no break. There's no space for rest. Um, Jesus talks about money because of this. He wants to talk us away from the edge. He wants to give us financial margin. He wants us to build this margin into our lives. And so so this is what we've been seeing. 
And this is what we're looking at. And Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 is, again, part of the whole Bible's teaching on money. You know, that when Jesus thinks about how to spend money, there's four ways that you can spend money that will honor God and bring blessings into your life. Okay, and we've been looking at these. They're in your bulletin at the bottom of page 6. That uh, Jesus wants you to tithe 10% to your church. Um, Second, he wants you to use your money to provide for your needs. Third, he wants you to use your money to care for other people. And then fourth, he wants you to celebrate God's goodness in your life. When we spend our money in these ways, God is honored and we actually can build margin. We can build peace and rest into our lives. And so, as we've looked at this passage, let me just kind of review. We've seen Jesus gives us these warnings. First, he says, look, money doesn't last. And so living for your money, living for your stuff is not a good idea. Second, money consumes your life. And then third, money competes with God. This is what he's shown us, these dangers. If we don't handle our money well, if we don't use our money well, our money will use and abuse us. Okay? And so this is where Jesus is, again, trying to build into our lives a new way of thinking. And so today, in this passage, in verses 25 to 33, Jesus basically says money makes you worry. Money makes you worry. And the gospel here, what's amazing and good news for us, is that it doesn't have to. Money doesn't have to fill your life with anxiety. Your money can actually make you confident instead of making you worry. If you will follow Jesus and embrace his wisdom. Because what does Jesus say here? He basically says, do not be anxious. He says that over and over and over again in this passage. He says, don't worry about money, food, or clothing. He said, it's so easy. You're you're consumed with stuff. You're consumed with money. You're letting money compete with God. But Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. In verse 28, it's kind of the core of what he's saying here. Why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the flowers. Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. But God, if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. And then if you look at verse 26, it says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Doesn't he love you more than that? And so Jesus is coming to us with this perspective, right? This perspective about a God who cares, right? A God who cares so much that you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to worry about your money, your food, your clothing. Now, when I read this, this picture um, that, that it gives us of, hey, look at the birds, look at the grass, like you should be that way, right? God loves you even more, so you should be like them. And if you're like me, you think, well, this sounds great. I wish this could be true, but, like, come on, seriously? I mean, is Jesus saying that we don't have to do anything? Just sit around. Don't do anything. Trust God. Pray all day. Money will come to you. Your bank account will just fill up magically. <clears throat> God's got this PayPal account. He makes, he just, he'll just send you stuff, right? You'll be fine as long as you just pray, 
I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Um, look more closely. Look at what it says, actually, about the birds. Okay? It says they don't sow or reap or gather into barns. What do birds do? Birds go out and they gather. Right? Mother birds go out. I mean, the kids just sit around and pray, kind of. I mean, all they do is wail and cry. Um, for food, birds. Talk about birds, not real children. <laughs> Although if that applies, that may be God speaking in a special way to you and your family situation. Um, <clears throat> but So birds go out every day and they gather what they need. What Jesus is saying here is that what birds don't do is they just don't gather a surplus. Okay, they go out every day and God blesses their daily work and gives them what they need to be fed. Are you with me? So birds don't gather. They don't have a barn, right? They're not like squirrels that gather up nuts for the winter. They they just go out every day and they find what they need and God blesses them. But they do work. And so Jesus, in verse 33, he kind of sums it all up. And if we understand about the birds, it'll help us fill in what he's saying here. Look at verse 33. It says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay? That's what, verse, that's what Jesus says there. And so he's saying, look, seek God first. Seek his ways first. Right? Spend time with God. Have a relationship with God. And then seek his perfect ways. That's his righteousness. The way of God. God's perfect ways means it includes working hard. Okay? Let me just give you some verses. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay? Because part of God providing for your needs is that you work. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially For members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? So again, part of what what our responsibility is to provide, right? And the way that God provides is is, is through work, normally speaking. Normally speaking, it's through work. Because look, Deuteronomy 8.18, we saw this last week. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Okay? God doesn't just dump wealth in your lap, but God gives you the power to go out and get it by working. Normally speaking, this is how God provides. Just like the birds, God calls us to go out and work. And it's interesting because when you think about the birds, it sure sounds a lot like the Lord's Prayer, right? Where we're supposed to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need so that we can eat today. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you follow God's wisdom, God will make sure that your needs are met. Okay? So we talk about being in a relationship with God. It's it's called a covenant in the Bible sometimes. We have a covenant with God. And part of God's responsibility in the covenant is to provide for you. 
Okay, this is part of his promise. Jesus is promising on behalf of God that you will be provided if you follow his wisdom. And this makes sense, right? Because what does Jesus call God in this passage? He calls him, look at verse 26. Again, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into bards, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says it again later in this passage in verse 32. The Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so what you have here is you have God who is a perfect Father. Okay? If you didn't have a good Father, God is the perfect Father. Okay? And part of His responsibility is to provide for your needs. And He will do that. And the way he will do that, more often than not, is to bless the work that you do. And he'll make sure that you have enough. If he's your heavenly father, he wants to lead you to a life of financial margin. He wants to set you free from financial anxiety. And if you follow him, he'll do that. So how do we follow him? Right? How can we make sure that this promise will come true for us? Right? What do we have to do? What's our part of the bargain? Is it just to work? Well, I don't think it's just to work. When God has given us instruction on how to spend our money, I think it's working and then spending the way that God asks us to. Okay? And that's really clear. We've been looking at that every week this month. Right? This is how God says that he wants us to spend our money. This is how God says that he can lead us into financial margin, into financial freedom. Okay, he says tithe 10% to the church. Then he says provide for your needs. Care for others and then celebrate his goodness in life. When you are following God's wisdom your money can actually relieve worry in your life. Okay? Not causing anxiety, but it can actually relieve anxiety. Because when we follow God's ways, we know that he's going to provide. And what's important, too, um, as I thought about God as Heavenly Father, you have to understand that, that God as Heavenly Father is God over us, Right? He's above us. He speaks to us. He trains us. Sometimes he disciplines us to get us to a place where we actually um, can be more like him and actually enjoy more of life the way he wants us to. Um, but that God who is Father, we saw last month that that God is Spirit. Right? That God, the Holy Spirit, is a manifestation of God's love. And so it's not just that God is above us, calling down to us and reminding us of what we're supposed to do. You know, God's attitude isn't, well, pfft, you know, if you get your life right and start doing this, then I'd be with you. I mean, that's not how God is, right? Because God the Spirit is God in us. God dwells in us. God is a spirit, right? We saw that last month. And as a spirit, God's presence permeates all of life. And God is in you. 
God is with you. Okay? The God who loves you as a father is in you for every financial decision that you make. Okay? God wants you to know that he's with you, that every time you, are, every time you make a decision, he wants to be there part of it. Right? Daily, weekly, monthly, as you make your financial decisions. And you can trust him. You can trust him to care for you because he's died for your sins. He knows exactly what you need. He knows what you need. And in his resurrection, he proves that he will never leave you or forsake you. Now, when I think about this understanding of God uh, and this promise, the thing that bothers me in the back of my mind when I read this passage, when I stand up and have to preach this passage, uh, if you're like me, you know people that seem to be working really hard and yet don't have enough. Right? I know people who are working hard to find work and can't find work. Right? How can you look them in the face and tell them or preach to them or share with them the truths of this passage when it looks from all perspectives that God isn't actually providing for them? Looks like God loves the birds more than he loves them. Looks like God loves the, fe- the lilies of the field more than he loves them. Right? Am I alone? You with me? Like, what do you say to your friends, your family members who are going through this? So I decided to ask them. I decided to ask people that are close enough to me in my life where I could ask them, look, I know your situation, um, and I know this passage. I'm preaching on this, and sometimes I get a little bit red-faced. If someone were to ask the wrong question, and I'd be like, uh, uh, so what do you think about this passage? And I want to share with you what I was told. So here's someone, testimony of someone who is personally out of work and has been working hard for almost a year, more than a year, trying to find a job. And no matter what she does, she can't get work. And so I asked her, I said, do you think God isn't fulfilling his promise in this passage to you? Here's what she said. Actually, I understand this passage as an encouragement to trust in God's provision. He promises food and shelter, but not everything my heart desires. It's interesting. Then she says, it's also a command to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, and then all else shall be added. Most often, God is concerned with the development of my character, not with pleasing me. So I said, why do you still have faith in God and trust God when he isn't providing for you? Right? Because isn't that the question that's on all of our hearts? This is what she said. Well, he has changed how I view provision. He is richly providing for me. He has made it possible for me to say, I trust you, Jesus, and to keep moving forward no matter how scared I am. In my case, every step of the way, God has been providing for me. What I have apparently lacked in the ability to provide for myself, God has richly provided for me through his amazing presence in my daily life during this difficult time, and through the incredible people he has placed all around me. 
His physical and financial gifts come to me through the people that he impresses to help me in extraordinarily generous ways. So when you spend money and care for others, you actually are God's miracle in those people's lives. That's what she's saying. And then she says this. This blew me away. Listen to this. Okay, this is someone who's been out of work and has no idea and has been just at at loose ends, not sure. I mean, working hard to find a job, right? Here's what she said. I have experienced God's presence more fully than at any time in my life. It has been a most humbling, precious, and deeply loving time in my life. I do not feel abandoned or forgotten. What greater experience of God's love on this earth could I experience? Man. That's a testimony. If you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, he will add all these things to you. Because when you seek God first, you get him. You get him. And all of a sudden, like the things that you think you need, you don't. Another testimony. Also a woman whose husband is out of work and she's caring for the kids. I asked her, why do you keep believing when Jesus isn't providing for you? Her response was much shorter. Because he hung on a cross for me. He hung on a cross for me. She said, Christianity isn't that all your problems would go away. Then one more. This is from someone who is homeless. Part of our church family. I asked her, how do you relate to this passage? And she said, you know what? God is with me. I feel him so strong. Abundant life isn't about what I can see. It's about getting right with God. And then uh, this person said this. Suffering gives us a share in God's glory. Suffering gives us a share in God's glory. God is showing his glory in me. I'm thinking, yeah, you just shined so brightly on me that you've just changed my perspective. And it hit me, you know, God has set up the world to work in a certain way. Okay, Generally speaking, it works in a certain way. Proverbially speaking, if you work, if you're willing to work, you'll find a job. Proverbially speaking, if you work hard, God will bless you and you'll have what you need. And yet, there's these times where things don't work out that way, right? There's times you read the Proverbs even, you think like, well, I know examples where this doesn't fit, or this isn't coming true. So listen to this. I think what, what I learned from, from someone who's living on the streets, when things don't work out the way they're supposed to, at that point, you have a special calling from God to suffer for his sake. 
when God isn't coming through the way proverbially he says he would, then you can know that you have a specific, special calling from God to suffer for his sake. And he does this so that through you, Jesus' suffering and his overcoming of suffering can be seen again today. Okay? People can't see Jesus on the cross anymore. Right? But they can see you willing to take even suffering and to overcome it by continuing to worship God, to continue to follow him. And you show that God's spirit is in you with a power that is stronger than any circumstance. So, and by the testimony of these three, at the point where God calls you to suffer, he gives you a measure of his presence that's even greater and more fulfilling. And so, that is dealing with the exceptions. Dealing with the exceptions. And so for us, in practice, how exactly can you get to a place of financial margin? Okay, what do you do? I'm going to show it to you kind of in two ways. First, got a visual, right? $10, okay? For every $10 that you make in income, a dollar goes to God. Gets really, really simple. Really simple. A dollar goes to God. I'm going to say a dollar also goes to saving, okay? And I think this is under the area of providing for your needs because you have present needs, you have future needs. I think biblical wisdom bears out that it's wise for us to save 10%, okay? So a dollar goes um, for your future needs. Then we've got to pay the government, Right? $2 out of every 10 goes to taxes, and that's just an estimate. If you're married, it's 18% with the standard deductions, and you don't itemize. If you're single, it's 26%. They just to pay, so it's a little more than two, but we'll just say two, because if you deduct and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what does this mean? It means you basically have six bucks left, okay? Six bucks left. And you want to use those $6 to provide for your present needs, to care for others, and to celebrate. Okay? That's how it works. This is financial margin. Okay? This is financial margin. And you know, I wasn't sure if I should just leave this down here because y'all don't think about it this way. You know, and just say, okay, you have to live on 80% of your income, but we're just going to be honest and know this is where it goes. But, um, but basically the key to having financial margin is living on 80% of your income giving 10% to God, saving 10% for the future, and then living on what's left over, okay? This is how you can have financial margin, okay? When we look at it this way, there's some things that become clear. First, we make all kinds of financial decisions without God, okay? We just do. We make all kinds of decisions, financial decisions without God, we should stop that. So we were praying for each other in our life group this week, and I asked for prayer. Like, I just want every purchase that I make to, like, help me just to remember, because I just forget. I preach on this, and then I go and spend money. I'm like, I was supposed to remember that, and I forgot. So here's what I did. I'm not sure which of these you can see better, but so on my credit card, you might think this is cheesy. I don't care. This helps me. 
um, I wrote four words on my credit card. Tithe, provide, care, and celebrate. Because now when I pull this out of my wallet, I, I, I see it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then I just think, oh, yeah, yeah. So am I tithing? Am I providing for my needs? Am I caring for someone else? Or am I celebrating? And all of a sudden, God's with me. All of a sudden, not, he was there before, but, you know, it's like Genesis 28. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it, but now I do because I remember. And so we're eating out yesterday, and I'm thinking, wow, this is God providing for our needs, but also us celebrating, right? Because we're doing something that we wouldn't normally do, right? We're celebrating. And so um, it's just been awesome. I bought a slushie at 7-Eleven. Did you know that a slushie at 7-Eleven can be a spiritual experience? Because <laughs> guess what? I was celebrating. I didn't need the slushie, right? And yet God gave me the buck and a quarter to be able to do that. And now God, and so, so I don't know, so I recommend this. But we make all these decisions without God. And God says, let me in. Let me in. I want to be with you, even for celebrating, right? Like, invite me in there, because I gave it to you. I'm the reason you have it. So we make all these decisions financially without God. Second, just I'm going to give you three little things. Um, we let culture and our peers determine our lifestyle. Okay. So, because I know what you're thinking. I can't live the way I live now if only I have six of these left over. Might be true. Might be true. But we let culture and we let our peers determine our lifestyle. It's about more and more and more. It's about appearance instead of being about margin. Because what if you had financial peace in your life? Would you trade that for, I don't know, having that car? Third thing is that if we followed God's wisdom and based our life on the 80% that's left over or 60% after taxes, our lives would be much more simple. We'd have less stress, less anxiety, because we wouldn't be spending more than we have. We wouldn't be pushing our way into the margins of our financial lives. And we would be free to be more generous. Have you ever had the have you ever like, been exposed to a need or heard about a need that somebody has and thought, oh, I'd love to give, but I just don't have it? Have you ever wanted to be God in someone else's life to be the miracle that helps them meet their needs? So much more exciting than having that other car, having another TV, having another home, having another, right? We'd find ourselves much happier and more peaceful and God has promised that he will add to us everything that we lack. That's his promise. This is how money can relieve anxiety in our lives. You're seeking God's ways. He'll make sure you have what you need. Okay? Sounds great, doesn't it? Okay, so how do you get here? Okay, I think I'm just going to guess some of you are not in a place where you can sit down and just say, okay, I'm going to change everything and this is what I'm going to do going forward. Some of you might be. Some of you might be at a place where literally the difference between where you are now and this and financial peace and margin is just a decision. Just I'm going to adopt God's ways. I'm going to do it this way from now on. Others of you have debt. Others of you have obligations. And so let's talk about more specifically, how do I develop financial margin? I'm going to give you five quick 
points here. And there's, I'm just going to bullet these out, okay? So this is stuff that you can actually do to get to a place of this, no matter where you are right now. Number one, track all of your expenses. If you don't know where it's going, you will never, ever have margin. If you don't know where it's going, you also have no idea like what you're doing, where you are. Um, I know some of you are like that. Um, you, just, you just need to track it. If you're in a relationship, if you're married, good grief. Like This will save you from, well, it seems to me that you spend all this money on, well, it seems to me that you spend more on, you see, and tracking your expenses takes all the mystery out. There should be no mystery. There should be no mystery. Track your expenses. Quicken makes this easy. There's all kinds of programs out there. You can do this. So track your expenses. You need to know where every dollar goes. Um, second, start the habit of giving now. Okay, giving is a habit. You need to start giving now. Even if you can't give 10%, right? Start giving something now. If it's 5%, if it's 1%, it doesn't matter. Don't wait. If you're in debt, or you're paying off debt, still, you need to start giving now because it's a habit. And you've got to start somewhere. Give something regularly. Develop the habit because over time, God will lead you into margin and you'll be able to grow. You'll be able to grow this. Start the habit of giving now. Third, start the habit of saving now. Same thing. You need to become percentage givers and percentage savers now. Okay? In some ways, it doesn't matter the percent. You just got to start somewhere. Okay? Start giving. Start saving now. Just start doing it because that habit is so necessary for you to get into. Um, if you want to have a life where you've got financial margin. And then fourth, you need to create a debt reduction plan. One of the best ways to eliminate mar or to create margin in your life is to eliminate debt. Okay? Every dollar of debt that you pay off is a dollar that can go immediately to your financial margin. And so you need to create a plan to get rid of your debt. And then fourth, you need to create a lifestyle reduction plan. Right? In some ways, there's no magical formula, although this is incredibly practical. Um, I have Andy Stanley to thank for these five steps. He's got some really helpful stuff on, on finances. Um, but these are the two things that really impact financial margin, these last two. It's debt and lifestyle. Okay, a lifestyle reduction plan, you know another word for that? It begins with a B. It's a budget. It's a budget. You need to make intentional decisions and set limits and goals in how you want to spend your money. Okay? If you do that, if you do that, you will get to a place of financial peace. So, some of you, again, now can take this and you're off to the races. You're going to sit down this afternoon, this evening, and you can actually begin to make progress in this. Um, others of you are going to need help. You don't need to do this alone. If you need help with this, we're going to be offering a financial class um, later this fall. Um, if you want info on that class, you just fill out the connection card. Let us know. We'll get you on the list and we'll begin to we'll follow up with you when that, when that class comes out. Um, one of the other things that we're going to be doing along with the class is that we're going to add something to our weekly service to remind us of how we can experience God and worship Him through our finances. 
Okay? We're going to start next Sunday. We're going to begin receiving a weekly offering. Okay? We're going to pass the baskets. Okay? And we're going to receive an offering. And, uh, and we're going to do this. It was interesting. Um, somebody said this in our life group this last week. They said, you know, it's interesting. We come to church every Sunday and we're reminded of things that are so important for us. Right, we're reminded of the gospel, we're reminded of the good news, we're reminded of forgiveness, we're reminded of adoption, we're reminded of regeneration, we're reminded of the indwelling of the Spirit, we're reminded of all these blessings of the gospel. Money is such a big part of our lives, why wouldn't we want to be reminded about our finances? Money is such a big part of this, and so we're going to do this. Um, See here, I've got one last thing I want to share about this that, uh, that was written. This is something that uh, Chad Gray, our worship director, he wrote this this week. I'm just going to read parts of it to you because I think it's, it's really helpful in terms of understanding why and what the impact is going to be of having a weekly offering that we start next week. He said this, he said, God calls us to recognize financial giving as just part of our worship. Of course, giving can be done privately, but Scripture shows God's people giving as part of corporate worship. And why would we want to remind people of this and distract them from the real worship and hinder our witness to people that might come in and be visitors? He says, well, now I see that giving is part of real worship. By removing our giving from our worship service, we're actually lessening our worship. We're lessening the witness that we have. He said, I still believe churches have abused their givers, but that's not a good enough reason not to receive an offering in the service. Because by removing the offering, we're removing ourselves from a really important conversation. We're gagging ourselves from preaching and teaching on giving in a healthy, gospel-centered way. And we're also gagging ourselves so that the people who come and visit our church can't see a church that actually sees giving as a reflection of the gospel. He said, if we do this right, we actually can heal the cynicism that's been caused by the abuse, and we can help us all grow as disciples of Jesus. And so, this is why we're going to start next week. And I want you to, to be ready. Prepare. Some of you are going to decide to give during our our corporate, our, during our offering time in the service. Some of you are going to keep giving the way you're giving, like you give online. Either way, that's fine. That's no problem. We're going to have a time each week where we actually stop and think either about the gifts we are about to give or the gifts that we have already given. Either way, we're going to be able to worship God specifically uh, in different ways uh, in our offering. Last thing, really short. I talked about working out last week with the pull-ups. You know, well, something else happened to me this week. I've been getting ready for the AIDS run, the 10K run. And um, from the first time I ran it, I think it was six years ago, um, I have wanted to break 50 minutes to run 10 kilometers in less than 50 minutes. And the closest I've gotten was 51.50. And that was the first time I ran it in the AIDS run. And I haven't come close since then. And so, um, so I've been running it, and I'm still like three, four minutes away, and uh, just, I just can't get there, right? Well, this week, it was interesting. I went on a run, and I actually ran it in 49 minutes and 56 seconds. 
okay? So I was four seconds under my goal, which was amazing. It was huge. It was awesome. I was so excited. I couldn't believe it. Um, here's what happened. Well, I, and let me just tell you just a couple things about that run. First, while I was running, I knew I was on pace to possibly do it, okay? Because I had this thing that's telling me every mile what my pace is. Um, while I was running, I thought, if this is what it takes to run it this fast, I don't want to run it this fast. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. It's arbitrary. Who invented time anyways? 50 minutes, it doesn't matter, right? It was, it was painful. It was hard. I'm thinking, like, this is awful. My legs are burning. My lungs are burning. Like, this is just not pleasant. I don't want to do this anymore. And yet, I just kept going. I kept leaning forward. And, um, and then at the, by the end, I mean, when I was done, I still thought, I never want to do that again. But now, it's crazy. Now, I'm like, I know I can do this. I know I can do this. Um, do you want to know the only, I mean, so here's the only difference between me running under the time that I, like, reaching my goal and the, literally, like, the 10 other times where I haven't met my goal in the last, like, few weeks. The only difference was that on the run where I met my goal, man, I, the first two miles, I ran much faster than I normally would. The first two miles, I was in the seven-minute mile, like seven-and-a-half-minute mile range. Okay, normally I start out at like eight-and-a-half, and I kind of like speed up or maintain, but this time, I don't know why it happened, I have no idea how it happened, but the first mile I ran in like 7.18, and the second mile I ran 7.30, and I thought, whoa, like, I wonder if this is going to happen. And then progressively, I got a little bit slower. But it was because I ran the first two miles as fast as I did that I was able to finish at my goal. Why am I telling you this? Well, because I like telling stories about myself. No, 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 no. This relates to what we've been talking about all month. Okay? What I want each one of you to do is I want you to push yourself. I want you to push yourself a little bit financially. And I want you to aim at spending your money the way that God asks you to, okay? Now, look, some of you, again, for some of you, pushing yourself will be 1% giving, 1% saving. For some of you, pushing yourself will be 5% giving, 5% saving. For some of you, it'll be 10%, like, but I want you to push yourself, okay? This is not going to be easy, okay? This requires faith and trust in your heavenly Father, who died on a cross for your sins, who knows what's best for you and wants to lead you to a place of financial margin. And so I want you to trust him and push. Okay? I want you to push. Because you're going to be able to see in 60 days, in 90 days, you're going to see an impact based on the decision that you make based on how you respond to this month's teaching on giving according to the gospel, you're going to see God do something. He's going to show up in your life. He's asking you to step out in faith because he is there waiting for you with peace, rest, significance, and purpose. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we come to you, we know that you are our dad. We know that you love us and that you care for us. We know, Lord, how much we need to follow you. And we do confess 
that our priorities have not been these. That for so many of us, we've struggled. And we, our lives show it. Our lives demonstrate that we haven't had the financial margin that we need to have, to have peace, to have sanity, to have good relationships. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Now, inspire us. God, give us what we need so that we can step out and move in this direction. And I pray too, Lord, that we wouldn't do this alone. That we wouldn't do this alone. That those of us who need help, that we would sit down with a friend, that we'd ask someone else to be praying for us in this area. And Lord, I pray that you would prove to us that you are real, that you would prove to us that you are with us as we step out. God, our heart's deepest desire, our heart's deepest desire is to walk closely with you. And if you promise that you will you will meet us here, then Lord, we're going to come. Meet us, Lord, this week. Give us clarity about where we are so that we can follow you into a life of margin. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.